Blog Talk Radio. Tune in to the hottest sports talk show on Never Had It So Good Sports Radio. Join us weekdays at 7 p.m. Stories about players and coaches of all levels. We make it easy to talk sports. Good Sports Talk Radio. We are having a segment today. It's happening in sports. We love this particular conversation. It's always a good one as we talk about some hot topics that are going on in professional and amateur um, sports. I'm my co-host, Tim Moore. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing well, Princess. Uh, Glad to be with you today. I appreciate you being with me. Um, Duck Raleigh may be running a little bit late, but he has some things he needs to take care of. So we're just going to go ahead and get started. And, gentlemen, I am going to call out the last four of your phone number, and then you can give us your name, and then we'll get everybody open and ready to go. 3968, 3968, give us your name. My name is Steve Thornton, and that's not real because I'm in a witness protection program. Hi. <laughs> My homeboy. And there How he y'all is. doing? All right. I'm doing really good, sir. Good, good. You are funny for sure. All right, eight zero zero six. Give us your name. Rob Ambrose. How you doing, Mr. Ambrose? Thank you for being on. Uh, thank you for having me. Always a pleasure. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Let me welcome in Duck Raleigh here. He is with us. Duck, your mic is oh, open. Yeah. How are you, sir? Doing well, Francis. <laughs> um, did you did you hear your homeboy uh, is a, is in the witness, witness protection program? <laughs> Who was that? Oh, you probably missed that. <laughs> he said, "I am Steve Thornton, and that's not my real name. I'm in the witness protection program. <laughs> that is your your." <laughs> Oh, 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 for sure. <laughs> yeah, I think y'all know David Riley. I know his real name. Hey, Tim, what you going to do with Steve, man? I don't know. He, you know, I, I don't know, man. <laughs> it's being in Texas, guys. We know Duck Riley. We know Duck Riley. He's from West Virginia, and he can dance in the end zone with the U.S. Oh, man. We know oh, Duck Riley. <laughs> <laughs> All right, 1691, 1691. Give us the name. Yeah, Tommy Bowden. Uh, and two of my best players, by the way, were in the Witness Protective Protection Program. <laughs> <laughs> best I had. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> Well, we're going to continue this one. <laughs> well, my, Princess is my real name, and I've never been in the witness protection program. 1341. 1341. Give us your name. That is uh, Lyndon Johnson. President. Yes, sir. Uh, <laughs> All right. Hold on one more. 1509. Give us your name. Hi, Oliver Luck. <laughs> How you doing, Mr. Luck? Thank you for being on. I'm doing on. great, Princess. Thank you. 
<laughs> awesome, awesome. All right, Duck and Tim, you want to get started, and I'll follow your lead? All right. Oliver, you're lucky, man. Nobody's in the witness program, witness protection program, as far as you know. <laughs> hey, Duck, you and I had some old teammates. They're definitely in that pr- program right now. <laughs> See, I told you about that. Oh, boy. <laughs> All right. I'm going to stay with you, Oliver. Stop thinking. Let's let's talk a little bit about spring ball. Did you like it, or is there a dislike for spring ball? Well, you know, I I think it depends on where a player is in his, you know, sort of trajectory, right? As a young player, I loved spring ball because I had a chance as a quarterback. I was a backup my freshman year, if you remember, I had a chance to come in and, and play better than the other guy and become a starter, you know, uh, and you have the 15 practices uh, and all that, you know, but by the time I got to be a junior or senior, <laughs> you know, spring ball wasn't that interesting because, you know, you had sort of mastered most of those skills. But, you know, I think generally speaking, it's a good thing, certainly for, for younger players. And, you know, the question I think, which would be a very interesting one to discuss is with the transfer portal and NIL and, you know, and football players moving around much more than they ever did back in the eighties or nineties or, you know, even the early part of this century, you know, is spring ball still as important, you know, because you have so many new faces. It seems like every semester on your roster. And, and, and we can, we can utilize that question because, you know, I'm. I'm. That's a very interesting point because I, I don't. I don't know how they do it, and uh, it's a lot of those guys from the transfer portal don't. They some of them getting in later, you know, uh, after the after spring ball. So, how beneficial is it? So uh, yeah, there's a there's a, a window that's opening up. I think. You know, next week or something. Yeah, maybe so after, after after spring ball for a lot of these guys. You know, I guess they'll show up. You know, summer, uh, early fall. You know, but but nobody knows what kind of player they are. I mean, other than what what you've got on tape. Yeah, it's opening May first to fifteenth. So that brings me to the next question for you, uh, Oliver. Uh, what about exhibition games instead of spring ball? You know, one of the things that I thought was helpful uh, when I was playing in the NFL, that's back in the 80s, so it's been a long time, but, you know, I I played for the old Houston Oilers. We used to go up and spend three days in Greeley, Colorado with the Broncos. And we didn't, uh, you know, play an exhibition game per se, but it was, you know, we we scrimmaged against them, right? You know, you had 10 plays and you did goal line, you did, you know, red zone, the whole nine yards, you know, special teams and all that. I thought that was, quite honestly, pretty helpful because you you do get tired of, you know, playing against your own teammates. They don't give you the looks that you necessarily get in a game, et cetera. So I'm not sure about an exhibition game. That could be more interesting than a spring game. But I would certainly think that, you know, there's there's nothing prohibiting or there shouldn't be anything prohibiting a school from, you know, having two days of scrimmages, two days of you know, work with, with another school, you know, two power fives or two group of fives or two D2 or D3, whatever. I think that, that would, would be liven it up for the, for the football players, certainly, because they get tired of hitting each other, as we all know. 
Okay. Uh, what, uh, Tommy, same question. What, what do you think? Oh, well, well uh, about spring ball, and, uh, you know, it's such a great time. And Oliver alluded to the, to the opportunity for him to prove himself, especially, you know, move up the charts or replace a, a graduating senior. But it's such a critical time for coaches as far as evaluation. Uh, and not so much uh, a young guy, but uh, sometimes you do position change. It's the only time to look at a, a tailback or a wide receiver at defensive back or vice versa. So you can always try to find and put the right pegs and the right holes in, in the spring and do it at a slow-down pace where you're not having to game plan and, and, and work on things like that. So uh, uh, it was critical for a coach, and coaches always like it. Uh, but uh, I just think that opportunity for coaches to to evaluate and then uh, the transfer portal has made it even more critical when your change really changes, your team really changing from a leadership standpoint. You're finding new leaders from the personality, from the, the chemistry, all those things you try to develop in winter conditioning, spring ball, summer conditioning. It's really, really more critical now because of transfer portal and, and things of that nature. So uh, very, very critical from a coach's standpoint. Uh, players, uh, the, the older players, the seniors, the ones that are proven, they probably don't like it. But uh, coaches, it's it's critical. What about the uh, exhibition we were talking about? Oh man, I, I think that would be a great idea. You know, I think gosh, years ago I even discussed it with Philip Fulmer. He was a head coach at Tennessee, and I was a head coach at Clemson. Geographically, we're close. We had rabid fan bases. It's always about the money. You're looking ways to generate income. You know, athletic departments with arms facilities uh, have, having to generate income for so many sports. Uh, a lot of the women's sports don't generate income, or even if you want to give it to charities. But uh, if Tennessee and Clemson were to play, for example, uh, rather than fan base, you would fill it up. You'd make a lot of money. I think it would be a great idea. And then if it worked good in the spring, I would start first in the spring. I think one of your questions mentioned about the fall, I think go to the fall. And uh, just a, a game time in, environment for your players. You can have a Saturday scrimmage. You try to sell your players. This is a, a game type experience. Then you have a spring game. You try to sell them that it's a game type experience. But the, there'd be nothing like uh, the atmosphere of playing another team on a Saturday in a neutral location or go home and home for two years and give them a taste of what it really is like on game day. Generate a lot of income. I think it'd be a great idea. It's probably something they'll do because I think finances are getting tight. And uh, when the NFL does it, it usually drifts, uh, filters down to college football. So I see it coming right around the corner. Okay, uh, Rob, Ambrose, same question. I clearly, too, am in the witness protection program. <laughs> they just gave me dogs. I, you know, I, from the head coach's perspective, I agree. Like, the evaluation in the spring is incredibly critical. And it's a fine line. And for me, it's a fine line, always been a fine line from personal experience. That I always thought you could never specifically win a game in the spring. But if you screw up, you screw up and you get a kid hurt in the spring, you can lose one right then. And you can lose a game in the fall. And I was, you know, walking that fine line between pushing the kids, having it competitive, building the foundations that you need to win in the fall, and keeping them healthy. And that's that. 
that kind of scares me, especially, you know, watching the FCS teams, watching the FCS teams and have them play in the spring. And this, this brings into conversation the, the scrimmages and, you know, playing against another team. And financially, God, yes, I can see it, and I'd love to, to do it against somebody else. But then watching what the, playing games in the spring, real games in the spring, did to all those teams that played games in the fall, I think there's an injury component to this that, that showed its head at the FCS level. And we'll probably – it'll be part of the discussion, but I think the money's too good to change anything. Uh, and, you know, with the, with the NIL and the transfer portal, you know, it used to be working, trying to evaluate these kids and get better at what you do and maybe throw some stuff on the wall and see what we do that might work. But now with, with the revolving door that this is becoming, you better spend more time evaluating, creating, generating, solidifying leaders and a culture that no matter who walks in the door, at least they know what we do in this house and how we do it. And, and because you can't really, there's too many missing pieces at too many times of the year. So if you can't build individuals as a collective, you just better build the overall thing. So when individuals come in, they just become part of the collective. Uh, Steve, uh, Steve Thornton, what are, what are your thoughts on the spring uh, spring football question? Yeah, it's, it's a very interesting question, and and I've been listening as others have have voiced their their thoughts and opinions. I'm gonna fall back to a couple of things. One, I'm, I'm old school, really old, but old school, and I like the tradition of the spring football uh, practices. So uh, I think it was a. Uh, uh, Coach Bowden said, you know, you get to evaluate uh, your players and what have you. What my thought process ran to, though, was systems. It gives gives the coaches and the players an opportunity to better understand the system that they're going to be playing in. Um, You might have young guys who are freshmen or sophomores who didn't get much playing time maybe the the previous fall. And, you know, the better you can understand a system and assignments, you know, the less you have to think while you're on the field. And the other thing that I thought about, too, was it also gives players an opportunity to learn the coaches. Because as you mentioned, with the transfer portal and guys moving around a little bit now, more so than they used to, it gives those players, to better, gives those players a, a chance to better understand what the expectation is of their position coach, of the head coach, of the offensive or defensive coordinator, so, you know, I, I like it from that perspective. The exhibition game kind of fell – go ahead. I'm sorry, Tim. No, that's where I was going. Yeah, but the exhibition game, with all this going on now, and I'm coming back in from old school back into the new age, the risk of injury is probably very great. When you have guys who, you know, opt out of bowl games and, and what have you, um, a spring football game, the, the the spring before the fall season of a highly ranked college football player, especially skill position guys, you know, quarterbacks, cornerbacks, wide receivers, running backs, uh, you know, there's a lot of risk there. And not to say that you would have to play him either, but then if you're not going to play him, what's the point of having the game? So all that said, I'm, I'm – I don't think that I would be one for spring games. And my goodness, if we can't generate enough money right now in the NCAA without charging for an NCAA, for a spring football game, you know, 
and, and don't they charge though to some degree just to come in and watch the spring game where the offense, you know, works against the defense against a you know a major school or I mean at a major school. So bottom line, I would not be one who would vote <laughs> if I'm an NCAA committee. I'm not going to vote for a spring football game. There you go. Okay. Yeah, and I, I, I think, you know, you guys made some, some good points about injuries, and I, I've seen the, both the pros and cons, um, you know, the exhibition game being, you know, uh, another opportunity for injury. But I remember several years ago, that's what happened to Joe Burrow at Ohio State uh, because he was going into the spring game, the number one quarterback, uh, and he got hurt in the current structure. Uh, and uh, yeah. that's how J.T. Barrett became the starting quarterback at Ohio State, uh, and uh, and he ended up at LSU eventually. Um, but, you know, one of the things I want to ask, go ahead, someone had something you wanted to say? One of the things I wanted to wanted to, to get to is this question of NIL. I understand that there are three states now that have extended the NILs to um, high school that they're allowing it now without uh, the kids uh, having to lose their eligibility. Um, what are, what's it going to take to control this NIL situation uh, now that it's on the high school level? Um, we talked, uh, I know Steve and, and Coach Bowden have been on where we talked about this NIL and how it seems to have changed uh, in terms of what its original intent was. Um it's turning into a recruiting tool now, and I don't think it was initially started. How do we put that genie back in the bottle, or can we? Uh, Coach Bowden. You know, unfortunately, I don't know if we can. And There's always a legal aspect when you get involved with this. You look at it from a coaching perspective or a fan's perspective or just somebody that played college athletics and, 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 and has opinions. But, you know, when the uh, uh, players took the – uh, NCAA to court, and, and they lost nine and nothing to the Supreme Court. I, unfortunately, I think the genie's out of the bottle uh, yeah. for them not to have the foresight and not have some kind of structure. And I think the problem is in the question. It's now filtered down to high school. But man, mm-hmm. we never thought it would do. This. We thought they would it, would. it would give enough pocket pocket change money to to survive and not be able to have a job like a normal student. But now it's gotten out of hand, and now the issue has gone to the high school level. And I think it, it, once you deny an 18-year-old high school student the right to make money, I think there's a legal aspect, which Oliver might be a little more aware of from, 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 from legal issues. But uh, I, I wish it could be put back in the bottle. I don't. It was just, it was just <laughs> such poor, poor management initially. I think the toothpaste is out, and you can't put it back in the tooth. Mm-hmm. Uh, Coach Luck, you were at the NCAA. Uh, I'm sure you dealt with this question quite a bit uh, when when this was percolating. Uh, what are your thoughts about this uh, now that it's uh, it's it's sort of filtered its way down into the uh, the high school level, and now you have some some kids who are probably making you know maybe even having to take a pay cut going from college to to the pros now, uh, even if if they even make the pros. Uh, is there any way to control this thing? Well, there's a, there, there's a couple of angles, but, but, you know, Tommy is right. The toothpaste is out of the tube. The horse is out of the barn. No question about that. You know, it's, it's an issue of economic uh, freedom, quite honestly, for college students. The idea that 
a college student has to be an amateur, which was the case for many, many years, uh, is is no longer valid, it's no longer viable. So, um, you know, I, I the, the horse is out of the barn. I'm not sure there's any way, you know, to, to get that horse back into the barn. The NCAA decided against putting any sort of regulations or any guardrails in place. They eventually will. They're I think as you all know, there's new leadership at the NCAA, so they'll you know they'll they'll figure it out at some point. But um, it's it's a question of economic freedom, and not just for college athletes, but also for uh, for high school athletes. There's I think probably something like 20 some states uh, who now have uh, NIL rules in place for high school athletes. So if you're a star junior, senior in high school, and you're basketball, football, soccer, whatever. You know, you can you can make NIL money just like a college kid. Uh, you know, this idea of amateurism uh, is dead. Let's be brutally honest. Uh, you know, there was a, a college, college, some of you may have seen this, that followed golf. There was a college golfer at the Masters who, um, you know, he, he didn't take any prize money uh, because he said that, uh, you know, the NIL money was better. <laughs> than what he would have wanted the Masters. And he, he finished, I think, gosh, just, you know, um, you know, 16 under or something like that. You know, had a pretty good tournament. Right. So it, it's you – know, but he, here's the thing. I think I'm accurate in saying that over the last two years of, you know, college football, college basketball, the last two years of NCAA competitions, um, it's been more – There are the TV ratings are better than ever. Uh, women's sports has taken a big jump up. You know, look at the LSU-Iowa final of the women's basketball tournament. The yeah. you know, We're selling more tickets than ever. I just saw where Tennessee has sold 70,000 season tickets, which is an all-time record, wow. you know, for the stadium there in, in Knoxville. People don't seem to be turned off by NIL. They don't seem to care that the quarterback might be driving a brand-new truck, you know, or the point yeah. guard. You know, or the or the midfielder, you know, might be, uh, you know, uh, having a I don't know a you know a, a sports car, you know, to his or her name. So, uh, you know, I, I think that's that's a positive in my book, right? And and you know, uh, I I don't see I don't see it changing quite honestly. Yeah, Steve, uh, we've talked this uh, on other shows, and and uh, mm-hmm. you, you've made your your position pretty clear. We we know that this is making it. You know, I've talked to some, several high school coaches, and it's making it very difficult for high school uh, players coming out mm-hmm. uh, to get the kind of recruiting um, attention that they used to get, uh, because it's easier for them to even go to to FCS or, or D two or D three and find a guy who's been playing very successfully for a couple of years and bring him in than it is to bring in a high school kid and take a chance on him. Uh, and now the NIL is going into the high schools. What, what are your thoughts? Is there any way to control this? Uh, you know, I, I honestly don't know because I am so confused about what NIL means. Um, for me, I, I, I'm confused because you get paid to if someone uses your name, image, and likeness in a marketing campaign or to, uh, to, to be the front man or the front woman for a product, what do I need you for if you haven't done anything? That's the part that really confuses me. 
I, I thought NIL was initially, and, and I've voiced this before, and I won't, I won't ramble with it, but a guy or a girl goes to college, and he or she is a star, and somebody wants to use them to promote their product or, like I said, to be the, the front man or the front woman for a marketing campaign, and they got paid for that if their name or their image or their likeness is used in that promotion. Now you got kids coming out of high school who have never thrown a football, never kicked a soccer ball, never hit a baseball in college, and they're getting paid. It, it is really messed up. I'll, I'll say that. You, and I agree. You can't put the genie back in the bottle. The toothpaste is out of the tube, and I don't have an answer other than I, I don't understand how the NCAA allowed this to go out the way it did with no guardrails, as, as, uh, to use the term that uh, I think it was Coach, uh, Coach Ambrose said, no, no guardrails, no fences around what's going on. It, it, it totally confuses me. And you have, and, and the worst part is, the worst part is, you have kids who have an overinflated value of themselves. Mm-hmm. If you get paid for things that you haven't done, you haven't, done. You haven't backed, I'm just totally mixed up. But it's it's bad. And and my recommendation, if if I had any kind of authority or power, would be to scrap this right now. I know that there'd be a lot of pushback, and I think it was um, one of the coaches just said some legal stuff. But right oh, yeah. now is the time to address it. Because it's only going to get worse. It's only going to complicate matters more. And I, I think the whole system ought to be scrapped. And then you should go back to kind of what the, I thought was the original intent, which if you have a star player, he or she can get paid for, you know, representing a product or being the, the pitch person for a product. But beyond that, it needs to be scrapped. And, and that's, that's all I can really think of to do with it. Because it's crap. Yeah, Coach Ambrose, you're you're still in the recruiting wars. Uh, uh, this this obviously has changed the uh, the dynamic of what you have to deal with, because kids are are picking schools now based upon how much money they can get, uh, as opposed to you know the kind of program that you might have and and their potential to grow as an athlete. Um, talk to us a little bit. Can this be controlled in any way? I control. I like. I agree with all the gentlemen on the call. Like everyone understands that Pandora's box is Pandora's box. Once it's opened, you can't close it. So the only, you know, once money's involved, the only thing that changes the path of money is the result. You know, money logic will end up prevailing. When you overspend, and some company spends a ridiculous amount of money for some kid who turns out to be a flop. Or, you know, because he's getting paid so much money, he stops working hard and doesn't become near the player he could be. When whoever paid that bill doesn't get the return on that investment, all of a sudden this isn't such a good idea anymore. So that's about the only way that, that this could ever, ever, ever stop, really. Uh, now, before it, I, you know, anything that's good for the kids is good for the kids as long as it's good for the game. And the only, when it will stop, the only way it will ever stop is when the game gets hurt or people don't make money off of their investments. That's it. And as long as we protect the game, you know, in the end, I guess it should be okay. 
Um, but this is a this is a teardrop trickle down mess that is going to happen. It's it's not going to go away. Like it's an entire new era of which we're all going to get to enter, watch, and be a part of. And it will come to some kind of intelligent conclusion eventually. Everything sifts out through the sister. But it's going to take a while. And, you know, Division Two kids are going to leave and go to some yeah. FCS school because they can get $1,000 more. I'll tell you, I've had kids look at me square in the face and say, Coach, I can get money somewhere else. I would love to play for right. you, but my parents let me not take that money. Like, that's, that's how could I? And I understand that completely. And, you know, that's going from the FBS level. And it, it, you know, crap rolls downhill, I guess, and we're all going to have to deal with it in a different <laughs> way. Change the game. It, like, if we haven't believed that it's changed the game, we're blind. It's changed the game completely for the next five to ten years. And, you know, money's going to dictate where it goes. Princess, you have the next I, question? I actually want to ask I do, but I actually want to comment and just come to Coach Bowden about the fact that there, and, and, and all of you all, that there are NIL high school and college women's basketball players who are making more than those women in the in the WNBA. And how crazy is that? Tim, you know what, actually, I want to come to you and just, just think about that. High school women basketball players in college and in high school are making more than WNBA players. Out of whack, yeah. this has gotten. Yeah, it, it's it's really it's really kind of strange. Uh, you know, I I remember when I worked for the bowl game. Um, I was, I was communications director for one of the bowl games, and uh, I remember Craig James and um, oh god, I can't remember his partner's name. Uh, I see him on television all the time. They were I took him out to out to dinner one night before the ball game, and they were teasing Craig James that. You know, he took a pay cut when he left SMU and went to uh, the Patriots. Uh, but, You're not talking uh, about Eric Dickerson, are you? <laughs> no, 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 no. Okay. <laughs> no, he played with with James, uh, yeah, but no, his, okay. his, his his broadcast partner. Um, okay. I can't remember his name, but anyway, uh, yeah, they were joking about that. But back then, it was illegal when uh, SMU got the death penalty, and now it's it's almost uh, well, not almost, but it's it's uh, it's wide open. It's uh, you know it's been happening to to a lesser degree over the years, um, but now it's out in the open uh, with no guardrails, and that's what bothers me the most is that they didn't set any rules uh, because they're dealing with not only this but they're dealing with the transfer portal, uh, trying to get their arms around that a little bit. But um, you know you got both of those things happening at the same time, and it's it's crazy. It's the wild wild west. Exactly. Um, Coach Bowden, the same question, um, you know, women's basketball is obviously taking a step forward in viewership. I don't know what that means for money on campus and money in the pockets of the athletic department. So, But here we are with the NIL and how college basketball players are making more than those in the WNBA. And I got a chance to see um, Candace Parker being interviewed, and she said, but the Las Vegas Aces, this is the first time I've ever had my own locker. It was secured and locked with my name on it, and I've been in the wow. league 15 years. Tommy Bowden. Yeah, you know, the, the uh, that question, you know, raises some other issues because right now the WNBA is really struggling fi- financially, and, and I believe if I was a, a women's college basketball player, I would, in making more than you're probably going to get the, WNBA, 
I believe I would get me a business degree and use that money I'm getting paid for instead, depending on the WNBA right now. But it, it, it goes to the bigger issue right now of, 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 especially right now, girls athletes at the professional level because whether it be soccer, whether it be girls, women's soccer, women's basketball, or whatever, they're not play, they're not paid at at, the, at a at a level. Uh, anywhere close to what their male counterparts are getting paid, and and so that particular example is is one where yes, there are going to be female athletes, especially uh, let's just take college game, college basketball, female college basketball players are going to make more because right now that 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 the WNBA is a struggling league financially, and when you look mm-hmm. at the uh, television uh, revenue, not television revenue because actually television marketing. Of what's gone on in the last couple of months with women's basketball, it's 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 a tremendous boost. Which only it's going to generate more income for the conferences, uh, the Big Ten, the Big ACC, SEC, or or whatever. But uh, it's not going to, I don't think, help the issue that the WNBA is going to have right now. But it isn't. It is a problem, potential problem for high school, college athletes that are going to make more at the professional level. And, and, and it might have some ill effects on that league because of the struggles they're having right now financially. I'm inclined to agree with you. Um, Mr. Luck, the same question. You know, it's only 12 WNBA teams. You know, I watched the draft last night, um, and, and I, maybe that's an indication that there's no expansion and that they are struggling too. And um, even though when I watch most games, the the arena is full, but the average salary is one hundred and fifty thousand, hundred and seventy five thousand per player, unless you were super Diana Taurasi that type. Well, I, I I'll be honest, I don't know a lot about the WNBA, uh, but I, I guess I, I would say this: you take you know the fan base that a school like LSU has, uh, they're they're probably you know close to a million uh, alumni. <laughs> living alumni from that institution, you know, mostly, of course, in the South, but spread out across the country. Same thing with Iowa, you know, a big state school that has an incredibly passionate fan base. In a way, it's not surprised in this NIL era that, you know, a star player like Angel Reese or Caitlin Clark, you know, can earn more money uh, in college, right, from NIL because the, the fan base that LSU has is, is you know ten times as big as the biggest fan base in the WNBA, and that's not a knock against the WNBA. I'm I, I, I'm I'm amazed consistently over the years how passionate some of these big fan bases are about all their programs, not just football or men's basketball, but you know softball, women's basketball, etc. Let me let me go back and and I thought there was a really good comment about you know, damaging the game or affecting the game and when when might that happen. I would argue that, and I'd be curious on uh, Coach Bowden's thoughts on this because you had to recruit at a high level. Recruiting is tough, right? And you don't always make the right decision, right? It's because you're looking into the future and and seeing how a kid develops. But I would think that with the transfer portal, as crazy as it is, you've got guys who are being recruited a second time, in some cases a third time, and they're ending up in better situations than they were in. In other words, you look at Joe Burrow. You know, if Joe didn't transfer, he may never have played at Ohio State. Um, so, you know, I think 
uh, as good as the coaches are at identifying talent, they, they, you know, they're still you still roll the dice occasionally. And I think this transfer portal is allowing quarterbacks, you know, to move around in particular, uh, because only one quarterback typically plays. But that's true of all the position players. And I think actually the portal, as crazy as it may sound, has helped the quality of the game because you've had a second chance to distribute the talent. And a kid who maybe was under-recruited and is at an FCS school, uh, like that kid who went to Albany, you know, and then became, a, I think, an all-SEC defensive end, he clearly, you know, was, was under-recruited uh, as, as a high school kid. And the same thing for a kid who might be over-recruited. You know, he's not quite good enough to play at Auburn or, you know, Clemson. He's going to you know, drop down and, and play at, uh, at Elon but he's going to play and probably have a much more enjoyable experience. So I, I think, uh, you know, there's some negatives associated with the portal, but I think in that regard, at least in terms of recruiting and having a second chance to make a decision, it's a, it, it, that could be viewed as, as a good thing for the game because I think it's bumped up the quality of play. I agree with you there. And if we just, talk about the transfer portal, um, Kim Mulkey had nine players to transfer in this year, and she wins the national championship. She um, understandably tried to create a soft schedule for herself because she didn't – all of her talent left. And then she did well in the transfer portal, and they ended up losing one or two games in the middle of the season because she admittedly said they tried to have a soft schedule. She wins the national championship. Uh, Linda Johnson, I'm coming to you, and I want to try to still stay on this high school um, college women's basketball players making more than WNBA players, but Alza Luck said something about transfers. I'm still upset with Cam Newton for leaving the University of Florida, going to Auburn, (laughs) winning the national championship, and drafted number one in the NFL. So I'm still upset about that, and I heard Tommy Bowden laughing. But um, Linda Johnson, your thought about this? Uh, you know, it's interesting. We've been talking a lot and hearing a lot of different things about how the, the NLI and the transfer for all these different things um, that won't change or be a, truly affected until it actually affects the game. And uh, I think we met, we've missed a little bit on one topic. Is at the end of the day, we're talking about kids, kids that are walking around with tons of money in their pocket, kids that a lot of them predominantly come from very low income situations and have no idea how to, to handle that, how to deal with that kind of money. And, and it's unfortunate, but I, I believe it's going to happen much sooner than what we think. Something terrible is going to happen to one of these kids who's making a bad decision because they're being forced into an adult world they are not prepared for. And the system is not doing anything to help prepare them. We're just giving them more money and more money and more money, and we're saying it's okay. These are kids at the end of the day. And a lot of these kids, I even know personally, have zero guidance, and they're getting all this money, and they're just going out there going crazy and throwing money around. And I think I said this on the call once before. If we don't think they are people in these kids' neighborhoods that are sitting and watching, and attacking these kids and attacking their families to get their cut. We're fooling ourselves. But we're all going to sit here and we're going to keep giving them the money and all these things until something terrible happens, and then we're all going to turn around and say, that's a bad kid. That's not a bad kid. And it's just a matter of time before it happens. I feel strongly about it. I've seen it happen 
long before when we were talking nickels and dimes. Now we're talking the hundreds of thousands of dollars and maybe even millions, and it's going to happen. And it's unfortunate, but we're we're just setting the table for it to happen. I completely agree with you there, um, Coach Johnson, for sure. We are setting a lot of these up for failure. Coach Ambrose, I want to come to you, though, and the number one NIL um, money is, is Bronny James at $7.2 million. Okay, Bronny James, I don't know if he really needs that right now. Arthur Manning <laughs> is sitting at number two. Manning, you know, um, and we can – so right there – we're giving it to those who already have the recognition, branding, you know, influencer, but who are probably the least that maybe need some help or a leg up. Coach Ambrose, and we're going to try to tie this up with Steve Thornton. Oh, well, uh, you know, no, I guess. Go ahead. You were still talking. No, 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 no. Uh, go ahead. Go ahead. First, yeah. About the NIL stuff, I mean, in reference to the women's basketball thing, I think it's kind of interesting that in the WNBA college game is now the lead dog. And I think financially that's just going to force the business model of the WNBA to change, that they realize that there is a greater financial gain to be had because clearly they're doing it at the college level. And where there's where there's money, there's energy. And by the way, Lyndon, I love you. That was awesome. That was just awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Give him the mic. Like, give, give him the mic. Stand on the He's so good. I don't like you very much, though, so it doesn't go both ways. <laughs> <laughs> go into that public. This is for you and me, baby. This is for you and me. <laughs> All right, I want to come to the guys and sissies and witness protection. And I want to say this to everyone. The Denver Nuggets mascot is making $235,000 a year. That's more than most in the WNBA. Steve Thornton, take this away to end this, and I want to get a Lamar Jackson question in there before we go. The question there is, what are they paying the mascot for? <laughs> but I can understand, you know, he's he's visible, he's he's known when you see him running around. But at the high school level, I'm trying to figure out what does a player do, a female player that's playing basketball that's worth 150, 175 k a year. What what does what does she bring to the table, or he for that matter, in high school? Because you're in high school. But you know, I, I digress a bit here. But I'm trying to understand it and wrap my head around it because even at the collegiate level, and you you have an NIL deal and you're making more than what the the lady down the street in the WNBA is making, how long are you going to make that money? Two years? Three years? When you leave college, are they going to keep paying you? I don't think so. I don't know that, you know, because I'm not affiliated with or acquainted with anyone who has a deal but what happens after the, the after you leave college? And I do agree with the president that this is heading down a bad path because kids make enough bad decisions without having a pocket full of money. So eventually someone will make a very bad decision because he or she had a pocket full of money and didn't know what the heck to do with it. So, uh, you know. All right, gentlemen. I'm I agree for, with you. I yeah, agree with you. I, I would love to make some more money myself, but I don't know if it's NIL <laughs> is the way to go about it. 
All right, I want to try to squeeze this one in here. We we have about 12 minutes. We're going to get to another show at the top of the hour. I'm going to start with you, Oliver Luck, and that is Lamar Jackson and where he is in his negotiations. And the question is, is should he get an agent? Um, he's proud of himself. He came out in the beginning, of course, with his mom negotiating for him, I think his rookie contract. But now he is he is doing it himself and sitting at the negotiating table, and I don't know how well that can be done. But, Oliver Luck, your thoughts about this, and, and what would be your advice to him? Well, you know, if, if you look at uh, professional sports, be it football, basketball, you know, baseball, hockey, which is a sport I don't know that much about, but my sense is, at least in the sports I'm familiar with, uh, every one of the top players has an agent, sometimes two. <laughs> And, you know, uh, an agent is somebody that speaks on your behalf, you know, can can share information with a bunch of different teams. It's hard to do that on your own. It's it's a mm-hmm. challenge to do that on your own as, as an individual. Forget about being an athlete. So it's the reason that, you know, Hollywood types and singers and everybody, you know, all, all the creative people, and I include athletes in that, typically have an agent. And, and there's there's a role that an agent plays. Uh, it, it, it's, it's, I had an agent back when I was playing in the, in the eighties. Uh, my son, you know, had an agent, uh, when he came out and the agent did good work, really good work. They can, they can say things that a player can't say about himself. They can listen to things that a player won't want to listen uh, about himself. So, you know, I, 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 it's hard to say, you know, if, if Lamar can do that on his own, I don't know uh, him, have never met him, uh, but, you know, when you when you break sort of convention uh, and and try to do it without an agent, uh, you know, it, it may work out, but it may not. And I, all I can say is that agents have, in my mind at least, proven their value and their worth, you know, over and over again in all the major, you know, the major sports where you're talking about, you know, contracts worth hundreds of millions of dollars. Tim Moore, the same question, you know, is, is not having one hindering him, should he consider it? I know that everybody keeps, you know, I've never played football, never negotiated a contract, but it seems like maybe that would help. And I, and I like what Oliver Luck said, you know, that the agent can listen to some things and maybe he doesn't want to hear and say some things. Tim Moore, your thoughts? Yeah, I think that's very true, um, what Oliver said, uh you know, because an agent is sort of a buffer in those kinds of situations. But I, on the other hand, I'm not sure that in this particular situation, the agent, the fact that he's representing himself is the real problem here. I think the owners have decided that they're not going to deal with this guaranteed contract situation. Um, Now, you might say that an agent may be able to get uh, Lamar to moderate on that position. Uh, more than what he's willing to do um, because of something he feels emotionally um, coming from the team. Uh, and that's, that's, that's a possibility, but um, you know, there, there have been other guys who've represented themselves in the past and did fairly well, but probably not at the level of money that we're talking about here with, uh, with Ma Jackson. So I'm not sure that's the primary issue, but he probably could benefit from having an agent. Same thing. Is this about money or about who's negotiating? Did I lose? Neither. You? No, I'm, I'm okay. here. 
I, I didn't I didn't know you were coming back to me with that. I, I think I think this is about the owners deciding they're not going to guarantee those contracts. They see what's happening with baseball, and uh, those guys have been, have uh, had guaranteed contracts for years, and they're getting uh, paid twice as much as football players are, by and large, except for the stars, you know, the top level stars. And with a football team, with a football team, you got to pay fifty some guys. Yeah. All right, Coach Bowden. Yeah, there's no no way I would try to navigate the, the contract arena as an NFL player without a lawyer, a very good lawyer. You know, mm-hmm. as, a, as a head coach in college, you know, that's one of the first things you do. You get a lawyer because when you talk to university. They have a lawyer, so, so you, <laughs> right. you have somebody that that understands the the game, the arena. That's like that guaranteed aspect that he wants. You know, when you sell when you sell a piece of uh, real estate, you sell your house. I'm sure we've all done. They go get a market analysis on what every piece of real estate in that area, what it's worth, and what the other properties are going for. And I think somewhere he's got some bad advice about that guaranteed contract. I think an right. agent. Would, would bring him back in line to, hey, listen, this is what the market value is of a guy like you. This is how you structure a contract. And uh, I just I, – I wouldn't try to navigate without a contract lawyer. I've got a brother that's a lawyer, a sister that's a lawyer, my son's a lawyer. I, they talk, and it's way over my head. But I, I just think that's that's a part. You know, if, 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 he, if he's got a law degree and graduated – Top, 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 top of his class in, in contract law, I'd say go do it. But I don't think that's his background. Surely wasn't mine, and I just think he could benefit himself by turning it over to a qualified agent that, that knows the market value and how to structure a contract where he can make you marketable. Bruce, the same question to you. If you were talking to him, what would be your advice to Lamar Jackson right now? Well, one, I would defer to Mr. Luck with his law degree and understanding the nuances in both the NFL at all levels. I, whatever he said, I'd probably just say pay attention to him. But in truth, I like don't look. I, I still have to coach. I still have to keep working. These guys are almost retired, so I can't offend anybody. But don't think you're going to get a contract that the Cleveland Browns gave Deshaun Watson. It's not going to happen. Right. There's a reason they gave him that contract, and they're the Cleveland Browns. And I'm sorry that I'm saying that. <laughs> I'll never get to work in Cleveland, ever. But let it go. And if, and if he had an agent, his agent would tell him the same thing, and that he needs to recenter. And, like, it's okay to represent yourself. He can do that. Um, and, and, you know, when, when you have somebody who's adamantly sticking to some of these things, yeah, I can kind of understand as owners why they wouldn't want to deal with that either. So just don't use the Cleveland – Brown's map is your map. Just, and I think everything will be all right. Coach, um, Lyndon Johnson, the same question, you know, when he gets in there in the, the negotiation room, are they saying, okay, this young man is coming in here. Um, he didn't really even understand um, how to navigate this room. Your thoughts about this? Well, I'll, I'll tell you, I, I agree with everything that's been said so far. I think everyone's 100% right. You should have some representation that understand the uh, the nuances of being in that room. But more importantly, he's got to also ask himself, too, look at it from the perspective of these owners. If I'm the owner, and we're talking about a quarterback here, it's a little bit different. 
than every other position on the field. Here's my quarterback. Is he spending as much time as he needs to be learning our offense, or is he worried about the next contract? Or is he worried about the extension that has to come up or the adjustment we might have to make to that contract? I need him focused on playing football, not worried about what's happening on his contract. That's what your agents are for. Because when this happens, whatever he signs the deal, whatever deal he gets, something might happen during the year this year, next year, or two years from now, that there might have to be an adjustment. Maybe, well, is he thinking about that, or is he thinking about getting ready for the Pittsburgh Steelers or whoever they're playing? And you're talking about the quarterback position. So think about that as well. What's the image that he's sending to these owners? Well, is that where my mind is at? Am I focused on football and being the best quarterback I can be? Or am I thinking about what do I have to do to get the best deal I can get for myself? Because I don't have somebody else thinking that way. I have to think that way. And I think now he's divided. And whether that's true or not, I don't know. But he's got to think that I know if I was an owner, I would be asking that question. If I'm paying him hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars, I'm going to be asking that question. Steve Thornton, um, bring us on home with this one. You know, Lamar Jackson oh, negotiating for himself. And this is a good one. For Deshaun Watson money. Things, yeah, two things real quick. Coach Bowden and, and Coach Luck, I need to chat about these attorneys because my guy that I have in the my witness protection program is falling off the, <laughs> the shelf a little bit. <laughs> things are not happening the way they should. And secondly, I think Jackson needs an attorney, but it has nothing to do with what's going on. I mean, a, a lawyer. Not uh, See, I got a lawyer's and attorneys on my mind, but an agent because time is money. And it comes back to what uh, Coach Johnson was saying. Time is money. And for me, I don't want to have all my time wrapped up in this contract. I need my attorney and my agent to go out and get me another NIL deal to go along with my contract. And I don't have time to do all of that. So I think he benefits in the long run by having representation so that he has more free time to do other things. And that's my concern. Sure. It's been awesome to have you on, Coach Ambrose, um, Lyndon Johnson, Oliver Luck, um, Coach Bowden. I appreciate you all, Steve Thornton. Um, you may want to check with your representative because the witness protection is going to get Navigate. Um, yeah, y'all can hit me up on wppcom Wow, 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 wow. Tim Moore, thank you. And um, we need to we need to do this again. This this is uh, I enjoy being on with these guys because they're thoughtful, and we don't always agree on every little piece of everything. But these are some thoughtful individuals. I, we ought to do this again. I had the heavy hitters tonight. Again, thank you, Mr. Luck, Mr. Bouton, Mr. Johnson, Mr. Ambrose, and Mr. Thornton. Get hey, on. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great evening. Mm-hmm. Never had it so good. We'll be back with basketball conversation at the top of the hour.